Hi, it's Mike. It's Saturday, and this is the Saturday show, although it's also the Sunday through next Monday show, because the last week of December will be a time for me of reflection, of turning 51, uh, of celebrating the birth of our Lord, who is uh, Steve Zungle. He was an indoor soccer player, was known as the Lord of all indoors. And so I like to celebrate his birth, even though it wasn't in the last week of December. Mine, mine was. Then, of course, there's a new year, and then I have an anniversary. So it's a huge, huge time for me. And if uh, you don't mind, I don't want to share it with you. But what I do want to share with you now, I love you. Thank you so much. What I do want to share with you is this, one from the vaults and one from the past week. So first, we will play my spiel about Airbnb and the amount of discrimination that goes on, the amount of progress that has been made with the issue of racial discrimination and renting a vacation home. And then we went way back into the vaults. We pulled out one from 2016. It's very family-oriented. There are some Christmas carols involved. And then at the tail end of that, I have an update. I will bring it into the present. So please enjoy this spiel and this bit of Christmas reverie. In 2016, Airbnb had a problem. Well, they probably had a problem long before that, but it was just getting widespread attention in 2016. Black would-be renters were feeling they were getting unfairly rejected from would-be rentals on the site. ABC interviewed Cortina Crittenden, a 23-year-old African-American who was constantly getting rejected on Airbnb. So Cortina took action. I changed my name to Tina, and then I put up a photo of a cityscape in Chicago. Once that happened, I never had any issues booking any place on Airbnb. Of course, that complaint went viral. Cortina took her frustration to Twitter, igniting a social movement under the hashtag Airbnb While Black, and says she soon realized hundreds of people had similar stories. But it wasn't just a hashtag and a collection of lived experience. There was research to back it up. The year before, Harvard researchers conducted a very well-designed experiment to test if there was racial discrimination among Airbnb hosts. They sent booking requests to thousands of potential hosts. All contained the same language in the message. All were for stays eight weeks in the future. All were for properties which displayed availability. The only difference was that some of the requests came from users with white-sounding first names and some with African-American sounding names. And in case you're wondering, oh, did the researchers just wing it on the names? No, there are actually verified databases of names that scan to Americans as more likely to be a white person's name or a black person's name. Like I said, it was thorough, it was expansive, it was well-designed. The results were unambiguous. They got lots of attention on news and in pop culture, as Adam Conover's show, Adam Ruins Everything, demonstrates. The problem is this enables discrimination. One study found that guests with black sounding names were 16% less likely to be approved as Airbnb guests. The exact finding was, I will quote from the report, we find widespread discrimination against guests with distinctively African-American names. African-American guests received a positive response roughly 42% of the time compared to roughly 50% for white guests. And if you're wondering why Adam, like all the coverage, cited findings of a 16% disparity. Well, that's how the math works. 50 to 42 is eight percentage points, 
but that eight percentage points is 16% of the number we started off with, 50. The hashtag about blacks being discriminated against by Airbnb, that study, all the coverage put pressure on Airbnb. The Congressional Black Caucus wrote to the CEO of Airbnb, citing Title II of the 1964 Civil Rights Act. The letter read, in part, members of the CBC are deeply concerned about recent reports of exclusion of African Americans on the Airbnb platform. We sincerely hope the leadership of Airbnb will take the issue of discrimination seriously. They did. And not just PR action. Airbnb took real action. They had every reason to take the complaint seriously, not just because of pressure, but because of what their perception would be among potential users. They didn't want to be known as the site where discrimination abounded, where black users would say, oh, Airbnb, that's where we have a hard time getting a booking versus Expedia, Hotel.com, or just going to the Holiday Inn Express website. So Airbnb hired lawyer Laura Murphy, the first African-American to lead the ACLU's Washington Legislative Office to conduct an audit. Airbnb partnered with Color of Change, the nation's largest online racial justice organization. They funded something called the Lighthouse Project, meant to, quote, uncover and address disparities in how people of color experience Airbnb and how we are, meaning Airbnb, are using these findings to guide our work to fight discrimination and make Airbnb more open and inclusive. They changed the policy on when hosts get to see guests' photos. They made all users sign a community commitment pledge. They kicked off some hosts from the platform. The CBC cheered them along as if they were doing the right thing. And now the first batch of results are made public. And here are some headlines about how these efforts went. New York Times. Black travelers say home share hosts discriminate and a new Airbnb report agrees. Bloomberg, Airbnb anti-discrimination study finds bias persists in booking. CNN, Airbnb finds people have more trouble booking stays if hosts think they're black. So it was a failure, right? And also consider that the Times story included an anecdote about a black family who claimed racial discrimination factoring into a host's canceling their stay. There was also a second anecdote about racial discrimination during a booking on Airbnb rival site Verbo, VRBO. And none of those headlines are inaccurate. But I'm going to give you the underlying numbers. Remember the 2015 study that found the 50% acceptance rate dropped to 42%? for users with African-American sounding names. Airbnb has reformed its policies, so the acceptance rate has gone up across the board. Now, here are the rates. For black Airbnb users, 91.4% of the time, they get their booking. And for whites, it's 94.1% of the time. So yes, that is a disparity. If that's what you want to focus on, that 2.7% difference, you've found your disparity. Apparently, That is what the media wants to focus on. But it's also a giant decrease in discrimination in relative terms and in absolute terms. Also, we should note 100% acceptance rate is not actually ideal. There are understandable reasons why some hosts should have some judgment in who stays in their home. Of course, if that's decided on racial lines, that's certainly wrong. But we should note that the difference in experiences of black and white users is once more 2.7 percentage points. Or if you want to use the same methodology where the Harvard researchers called an 8 percentage point difference a 16% disparity, now we can say 2.7 percentage points starting from a base of 94.1. 
it's a 2.86 percentage rate difference. Another way, and if you wanted to put this in the headline, you could say Airbnb's efforts to combat bias result in an 82% decrease in discrimination. It's all true. It's all accurate. I would say it's a more accurate way in informing your readers and listeners, viewers about ongoing discrimination. As far as the part about Airbnb admitting discrimination, they don't deny it. Their tone is more of a, but we've not reached our goal yet. Still, progress is the main theme. Here is Laura Murphy's intro to that report. Airbnb's work detailed in this report is a testament both to the intractability of discrimination and to the company's enduring commitment to fight bias and foster inclusion across its community of hosts and guests. This tenacity is a rare trait in a company. Disparity of 2.7% between white and black, still a disparity. There is an interpretation that says any disparity can't be said to be quote-unquote progress. I guess everyone who covered these findings except me buys into that interpretation. But personally, I think this is overly pessimistic and dispiriting. And I'll tell you what else such an interpretation does. It discredits other more blatant forms of discrimination. The New York Times coverage of that Airbnb study, the black travelers say home share hosts discriminate and a new Airbnb report agrees, that headline, ran right next to another story in their print edition. New suit uses data to back racial bias claims against State Farm. Subhead black customers have long claimed that the nation's largest home insurer discriminates against them. A lawsuit claims a nine-month study provides some proof. But that story, hedged as a study providing some proof, actually provides a good deal of proof. The Center on Race, Inequality, and the Law at NYU found that black policyholders needed more interactions to get their claims processed, black policyholders had to fill out more paperwork than white homeowners, and a Dutch software company used an algorithm that flagged black homeowners as more likely to be engaged in fraud based on the background rates of fraud in the neighborhoods where customers lived. The disparities weren't vast, they were usually in the low double digits, but they were real. They were all many times the 2.7% disparity in the Airbnb study. I think it's possible. If you read the Airbnb study first, and you did so with scrutiny, you might say 2.7%, really? All this over 2.7%? And then if you saw the insurance story right next to it, you might say, must I read another story about a thin accusation? And you'd skip it even when that story raises much more glaring red flags than the Airbnb story. I'm sure the Times would like for you to read both stories the same way, which is that black customers face discrimination left and right. I'm sure both businesses would like you to ignore both stories. But there seems to be a big difference in Airbnb's action and State Farm's alleged actions. I think these differences should be prominently noted. Maybe even they should drive the coverage. What I see is a story of a good deal of progress in the area of discrimination and a story of lots of challenges abounding in the area of discrimination. Apparently, our media gatekeepers don't trust us to be sufficiently discriminating news consumers when it comes to this information.
And now the spiel. So I don't know if you've been able to discern this or not, but on the show, I sometimes talk about my life and just things that happen to me. It gives me fodder for especially this portion of the show. I mean, did you hear yesterday's spiel? It was entirely premised upon the fact that last night a cat jumped on my face. Last night a cat jumped on my face. That really happened. And another thing that happened was, and people have asked me, why don't you talk about this on the show? So now I will. My children were on Jimmy Kimmel. They've been on a couple of times. Most recently, Jimmy and Guillermo combined to do the homework helper guys segment. I have to admit, they don't really help that much with the homework. But the kids found it funny. People found the kids funny. So people ask me, why are your children so funny? And I usually brush off. I just think of it as a compliment. But then I was thinking about it a little bit. And I think there might be a reason, a a few reasons. One, humor is currency in our house, for sure. It's emphasized. Two, you know, I've enrolled them in acting classes and so forth. But I think a big reason has to do with a wrinkle of parenting in New York City. So I think the way that a lot of parents and their children interact is in cars, front seat to back seat. And there is no way to execute that interaction that's not somewhat dictatorial. I mean, you could have conversations and you could involve everyone and you could go around the car in a game. But still, the dad, the mom in the front seat are dictating, say, the music choices or if you have DVD players or whatever. They're sort of dictating the conversation. They're not really looking at the children. And so the flow of information goes from parent to child. It's top down. There's nothing wrong with that. Based on that, I think kids can learn a lot. Um, I would say that in the times when I have been in a car, that I've used it to try to uh, deepen the musical education of my children. For instance, I didn't realize, they didn't know, whoop, there it is. And then I played it for them. And now they know, whoop, there it is. But the main way that I interact with my children is not front to back seat. It's either side to side or face to face because I bring them to school via the subway. And on the subway, we're either looking at each other or walking next to each other or sitting next to each other. So the other day, while walking to the subway, we were singing some Christmas carols. My son, Emmett, and I, Santa Claus is coming to town. And then he changed the lyrics spontaneously to Donald Trump is coming Okay, so I should say, joining me now, you've seen him on the Jimmy Kimmel Show, also Katie Couric's show. And what are your other credits, Emmett? What else, what other shows have you been on? This one, The Gist. The Gist. Okay, yes, you know him from The Gist. And Emmett is here, and we're going to play for you and show to you what we do on the subway with the Christmas Carol classic. Donald Trump is coming to town. All right. So what we do is I, uh, I'm going to say I trick Emmett into reading. I have two papers with me every day, the New York Times and the Washington Post. And so we take the idea of Donald Trump coming to town and we pivot off the day's headlines. Like here's today's Wall Street Journal. Now, Emmett, I'll help you. There's a woman's last name, but can you read this headline? Yellen Trump on some... Uh, same. Same. Yeah, the font's weird. We finger a little bit. Paid for now. Okay. Uh, so then what I would try to do is think of a good rhyme for this. Maybe something like, will the Fed Reserve Chair and Trump get in a row? Well. Yelling Trump on same page for now. Donald Trump, Trump is, is coming, coming to, to town. town. All right, next headline. <laughs> I guess it was very funky. 
Donald Trump has a monkey going to war with Canada. Isn't really funny. <laughs> okay, let's read this one. A Trump tactic face roadblock. It's faces, right? Yeah. Faces roadblock. And you think a tactic is the opposite of a tic-tac, like a big candy that makes your teeth rot. So a, t- a tactic is the opposite of a tic-tac. Yeah. All right, let me think of a rhyme for this. Um, in the late 80s, he went deep into hawk. Go. A Trump tactic faces low with block. Donald Trump is coming to, to town. town. Now, now I have noticed Wall Street Journal headlines, they're pretty good with the rhyme scheme and the meter. But the New York Times, they, they try to shove so much into their headlines. To wit. To fight Trump, Democrats. Yeah. Look to a GOP tic ta- no tactic. Okay, so I'll say this. Um, his enemies are gonna be sick. To fight Trump, Democrats look at GOP tactic. Donald, Donald Trump, Trump is coming to town. town. So in this way, we Christmas Carol, we make up rhymes, we read the papers. We learn the difference between general and genial, and we learn definitions of words. (laughs) Like, what is the definition of uh, tactic? A large candy that makes the teeth rot and it's big. The opposite of a tic-tac. It also means a strategy. But if you want to go with tactic as the opposite of a tic-tac, that's fine. Yeah? Yeah. This way, the side-to-side subway collaboration type way of interacting with one's children... Not the right way, not the way that everyone can do, but it does answer the question, hey, how'd your kids get so funny? I do think this has something to do with it. Anyway, that's my theory. If you don't like it, I hope it won't get you down, cause Donald Trump is coming to town. And now it's Mike. I'm back in 2022, or maybe you're listening to this in 2023. How are things? The flying cars? Elon's still doing his thing? Anyway, I am joined here by a character that you just got to know, although we all change very much in six years. Emmett Pesca was, how old were you, Emmett, then? Uh, Six years ago, I was like uh, eight. Eight, or maybe, depending on the recording, even seven, Mm -hmm. because you, you, you do have a Christmas birthday. And now you are how old? Now I'm 14. All right. So let's do our shtick. Let's update it. Let's wow America with your reading and singing skills, okay? Wow them. Wow them. We got some uh, Washington Post headlines. We're going to do our old bit. By the way, before I played this for you, did you remember doing this? No, I didn't. And does it seem like it was you? I'm, yeah, but... It yeah. wasn't. We used a stunt kid back then for child labor laws, just so you know. I thought so. Yeah. You could tell, right? Mm -hmm. You were like, what was my motivation? All right, hold on. Let's get these Washington Post headlines going, and we're going to do our old song, our old song and dance routine. How do you feel revisiting the old old material? Yeah, I feel fun. It's going to be fun. All right, here we go. He might make you laugh. He might make you cry. The final collapse of Trump's oldest political lie. Donald Donald Trump Trump is going. To jail. Okay, so say you. I didn't know okay. we were changing we that. Were. That's fine. That's fine. He was a terrible president for a once great nation. Skepticism before the search inside the Trump's Mar-a-Lago documents investigation. Donald Trump is going to jail. 
Do you really think he is? <laughs> yeah. Have you assa- really? No. Oh, because of the Georgia case, the January 6th committee? What do you think is his greatest legal exposure? Um, yeah, there's a lot probably encouraging people to raid the Capitol. That okay. was a that was a bad thing you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. It was not a good thing, no. And, and finally, among some Republicans, he retained some appeal. Opinions, the many scandals Trump's tax re- records reveal. Donald Trump, Trump might be going, might be going to jail. To jail. To jail. And the gist is produced by assistant producer Corey. No, he's now a producer now. Did you know that about Corey? No. He got a he got a uh, title increase, Ooh. slight raise, just a lot more acclaim. He deserves it. You know, it's 2023. Let's start positioning Corey as the uh, as the valued employee he is. What do you think of that? Wow. Yeah. Wow. And Joel Patterson, of course, is the senior producer of the gist. Thoughts on Joel? Thoughts on his status as we enter the new year? No. No? no, no you got to have some. Uh, keep up the great work. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Thank you, Emmett. You and know. a Merry Christmas to all. And to all. Oomperoo. Doomperoo. Jeeperoo? Doomperoo. It's Jeeperoo now. No, it's not. Oomperoo? Damperoo. Jeeperoo. Dooperoo. Thanks for listening. Talk to you a week from Monday. Oh, player this guy is.